Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations Between a Priest and a Rabbi with Rabbi Ethan Adler and Father Craig Swan. Today, they're going to be talking about the role of religion in our everyday life and how the rituals found within give our lives purpose, direction, and focus. Please subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening. Thanks again, and God bless. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Conversations Between a Rabbi and a Priest. I'm Craig Swan. I'm the rector of St. Peter's by the Sea in Narragansett. And as always, I am joined by... And I am Ethan Adler, rabbi at Congregation Beth David and a congregation in Westerly as well. And this morning, as we put this conversation together, we're both in the midst of what my colleagues like to refer to as Holy Hell Week. For the Christian denominations, this is Holy Week and Easter, which means for us clergy, lots and lots of services and pastoral work. And in the Jewish tradition, this week has been Passover, which means... Passover, which celebrates uh, the Israelite freedom of, from slavery in ancient Egypt about 3,500 years ago. We are involved in running what are called seders, which are special meals that help us commemorate the occasion and various services and mostly highlighted by restrictions into, into the kinds of foods that we can eat, basically grains that can be fermented, we're not allowed to eat. So instead of breads and cakes and bagels and pizza, we eat something called matzah, which is like, like a wafer, if you will. We have to be careful into what kind of foods we eat to make sure we don't have anything that has bread qualities or bread ingredients into it. So it's it's eight days of celebrating freedom, but not living free. So kind of interesting. As we're talking about this, I was thinking maybe not this week, which we should have done, but down the road, one of our conversations should be about food and faith. Because growing go. up at with an Italian mother, every holiday has specific foods associated with it. And every year as the holiday comes up, my memories always go back to those very specific foods. Absolutely. We have the same thing. As a matter of fact, in a very joking matter, somebody once, once said we could, we could boil down every Jewish holiday into very few words. They try to kill us. We won. Let's eat. <laughs> I like that. I have to think that went through for us. Yeah. So anyway, we're, our topic this morning comes from actually our producer, Ron Cowie, and the question is to us, what is the role of religion in today's society? And I think that's a really good question because if we go to the mainstream media today, especially from the Christian side, it almost feels as if Christianity is there to serve as judge and jury for most people and to be kind of this moral judge in all we do. And sadly, we see that an awful lot, especially in the hot-button issues that face society. And where does the church stand on it in terms of moralizing? And I'd like to say that's really, I don't see that as our role. And I'm not quite sure with Judaism today what you're seeing in terms of how Judaism is being portrayed through the media or into the culture from your people's perspective. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a question that we always ask when it comes to religion, which is, 
is is our life is our life composed of religion or does religion compose our life you know is is religion just something that we do in addition to everything else or does it really really encompass most most of our life i think in our case most people see judaism as a source as a source of strength as a source of prayer as a source of comfort we have we have a lot of denominations we have very 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 strict jewish people who follow the traditions very very closely as well as we have those who just subscribe to the the spiritual side of Judaism without really feeling any obligation for the laws and rituals and things like that just to say i'm jewish is enough for them spiritually so i think people look look to Judaism for whatever it is that they need whatever it is they want and i think i think Judaism as other religions as well i think has enough in it and within it to satisfy whatever people need in previous years Judaism especially rabbis and Jewish law had much more of a sway on people where they really saw the bible as an authority and they also were more afraid of breaking laws because they felt that you know somehow they might be punished so that drove a lot of people to really believe and to follow through and and do whatever the bible tells them to do nowadays most most people don't have that feeling anymore that you know even on passover gee if i if i go out and get a you know get a bagel from somewhere that some lightning will come out from the sky or something bad will happen to a member of my family because i did that people don't have that have that anymore so they they've lost that fear and they're more comfortable just kind of doing their own thing i'm glad you brought up the issue of the loss because i think from the christian perspective one of the things i often hear about and how we use the old testament especially the laws from deuteronomy etc and leviticus is that well these are the commands in rigid and they're done with a retributive retributive sense of justice you break it you get punished but that's not the understanding i think with which god gave us the law and i think it's a misconception and i know i've heard you often talk about what the role of the law was in mm-hmm. that God had given us and i think that's significant to this conversation today is what is the fuller intent of the laws of torah yeah so the question is how do we approach punishment reward and punishment in the bible for example so it is clear that much of the torah much much of the book of laws does pronounce rewards and punishments Let's move this a little closer. Okay. Now we're good. So much much of the Torah does pronounce God's word is saying if you keep my covenant, if you follow my laws, then good things will happen to you. You'll have rain in its due time, you'll have many children, your enemies will not pursue you, things will be great. However, if you don't then in some parts of the bible it does mention that I'll stop the rain and the enemies will pursue you however in the, in in the book of Deuteronomy there is this one section it's called the reproof where it goes on for like i don't know 42 verses 
God says, if you don't follow my laws, well, here it comes. And some people take it in, and interpret it very literally. Others like to look at it a little bit less formidably. And the way they understand it is, even though it literally says, if you don't follow my laws, I will do this or do that, they understand it more as not necessarily a God will do it, but these are the consequences that will happen. So if God says, if you don't follow my laws, then society will just, you know, will just fail. Well, we look at it, or some people look at it as consequences. So if we don't follow the laws of loving our neighbors and not murdering and not stealing and honoring our elders and, and recognizing God, well, we can see what happens. We can see what happens as a consequence. So yes, there are rewards, there are punishments, but again, from a practical point of view to the average Jewish person today who's not on, on the extreme of orthodoxy, that they just look at it as symbolically. I like the fact that you brought up that there are what, in my training as a social worker, we would refer to as natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Part of the parenting training I would do is, you know, teach the parents you don't necessarily have to directly punish your child. There will be natural consequences for them, for them not following what you need them to do. And I think what the laws give us is that sense from God of, I have built this world with a balance. And through the laws that I've given you, you will be able to keep that balance and have a prosperous or a peaceful life and one that is in right relationship with me. And I think the greater consequence that God keeps bringing forth is not so much the physical, the rain won't come or this or that, but by not trying to live into these laws, we break relationship with God. And that is our definition of sin, is basically doing that which breaks relationship with God. But I also look at the Old Testament and want to dispel the uh, myth that seems to run through some Christian circles that, you know, the Old Testament is about a God of punishment and the New Testament is about a God of love. And that is totally untrue and not realistic. Yes, there are points that we see the wrath of God when human, humanity has really gone far off the rails, but what I try to teach people here at St. Peter's or wherever I've been is that let us understand what the role of the Bible is in general. So many see it, or it seems to be preached in modern culture that it's a rule book. Some others want to make it a science book. It's none of the above. Mm -hmm. As I teach here at St. Peter's, the Bible is basically our history with God. And what its main purpose is, is to teach us about that which created us in this universe and the relationship that being, God, the creator, wants with humanity. And as I read through the earlier stories and actually through the whole of the Bible, what I see is a God who loves creation and humanity so much that that God is willing to do anything and everything and keep working to bring that relationship to fullness, despite our own behavior. And it's a kind of God that also is willing, willing to reason with human beings. I mean, if you think about it, 
if we ascribe God as the creator of the universe, I mean, I can't fathom an unending universe, and yet someone created it. It is incredible. I mean, more than the earth that we know. I mean, galaxies and galaxies and billions of stars and all that, and ongoing and ongoing. And yet, this God is willing to listen to the voice of reason from a human being. So, for example, when God said to Abraham, right, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, well, what if there are 50 righteous people who would still do that? And God says, no. But unfortunately, there aren't that, aren't that many. Or when, when Moses came down from, from Mount Sinai and he saw the Israelites dancing around Elsie the cow, I think that was her name. <laughs> and, you know, God was tremendously upset. He, 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 he was ready to pull out all stop with his, his wrath, and Moses talks him out of it. So to me, that is, that is such a tremendously valuable lesson to me that says this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God is available to me, Ethan Adler, to speak to and to beseech. And, I mean, what, what a great Bible lesson that is. And the thing is, you're talking about that, remember my Bible in Old Testament correctly, Jonah, the story of Jonah. And Nineveh is, he is to prophesy to them that they have lost their way and God is going to come in and destroy them if they don't repent. And the people do repent. And God calls off the, the wrath mm-hmm. and the punishment. And it's not God who's upset that they repented, but it's Jonah. Yep. And I don't know whether he thought he, God made him look like a fool or what, but instead of Jonah celebrating that they listened, he's ticked off and you know, wants to take his ball and go home. Yeah. He is an enigma, to be sure. <laughs> I think the other part of what the Bible teaches us, and there's a wonderful quote of Christ in the Gospels, it says, I do not come... Now remember, from the Christian perspective, Jesus is the incarnation of God and walked this earth, both fully man and fully divine. But Jesus makes it clear to those who are listening and to the Pharisees, I do not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks very clearly about the role of religion in terms of where it sits within culture. And I'm going to take a little bit on this. And that is, even as I look at the Old Testament and the law, they're really, it's God's way of teaching us how not to just love God, how God wants us to love him or her, but also how to love each other. Mm -hmm. And there's that wonderful law that Jesus brings out when we ask what is the greatest of the laws. And he says to love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. The second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's right out of Deuteronomy. And what I believe the Bible and the role of religion today and in this culture is not about how to condemn but basically gives us examples of how to love. And this week on Friday, we will commemorate the day that Jesus was crucified. And we talk about the story of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and the whole of 
on Christ's ministry as the greatest love story. Mm. It is that great example from a Christian perspective of what love is and looks like. And one, I think one important component of love is forgiveness, to be able to forgive. And even in this section in Deuteronomy where called the reproof for God, oh my God, it's like very difficult reading. Even there he says, however, should you repent, should you see the right way, then all good things will happen. These things will stop. So there's a lesson there about, about not, if God can forgive us, then we should be able to forgive other people. And I know a lot of people have issues, we spoke about this before, I think, have issues with forgiveness because they think to forgive is to forget, and we said that's not necessarily what we intimate by that. So, but I think another, another aspect of what, what the Bible can do for us, religion can do for us, is I think in many ways, Bible, religion, put all together, it provides order out of chaos. And here's what I mean by that. It's at its, at its ultimate, when we face death, whether it's an expected death, unanticipated, traumatic, whatever, whatever type of death it is, it puts our world into chaos. Up is down, in and out. We, one day we have Aunt Josie, next hour we don't. We have our dad, next minute we don't. We go into total chaos. However, religion gives us a guideline and what to do when somebody dies, right? You got to call your clergy. You got to do this. You got to make arrangements. You got to think this. You, it 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 shows us how to how to experience the bereavement and the grief and the mourning, and so it puts order into chaos. What we could not control, which was the death, we can control the after the death. Where are we going to have the service? Who's going to be there? Right. So it, it provides that, but also provides us with answers. You know, one of the fears that a lot of most people had back then was what happens after I die? What's, and is this the end? Am I going to live, struggle for 40, 50 years, 60 years, and die, and that's it? It's over. Religion comes along and says, well, not, not necessarily. Physically, maybe you're gone. But spiritually, your soul, different religions have different visions of what happens. Is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it just another world? Is it another existence? Gee, if my religion teaches me that my soul will meet up with my folks, oh, I'm not, maybe I'm not so scared anymore. Maybe it's not the end. So it provides that. You know, how do we, how do we celebrate certain, certain events that, that happened? The Bible tells us here, here is a guided way. Religion tells us, here's a guided way to celebrate. Here's, here's how you mock certain occasions. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And it, it, it gives an, an order, I guess, into, into chaos. And I think that's an important part of it. I think that point is really profound in this secular world. The, uh, the Pew Research just came out with a new study that says, as of today, less than 50% of Americans see themselves associated That's right. with any kind of church or house of That's worship. Right. And what we hear going on in many ways 
probably rightfully so because there has been a break of trust among some of the churches with their people in terms of protecting and safety. But with the loss of religion, as you mentioned, we've lost rituals. And as you said, rituals help us get from point A to point B. It marks significant points in our life. It celebrates the birth of a child, whether it be a presentation, a brisk, or whether it be a baptism or a dedication of a child. We mark a child moving from childhood into young adulthood, either through confirmation or through bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs. It gives people those touch points of movement forward. It also, I think as you began talking about, especially in terms of funerals, because I talked to many funeral directors and they say without ritual, and a lot of people now just say, well, we're going to go have a party, but we're not going to mark this death. And with this pandemic and the loss of the ability to have burials and things like that, mm. people don't have a sense of closure from one space to the next. And one of my funeral director friends told me that it was not unusual anymore that on the anniversary of someone's death, that they'll see that family member in the car outside of the funeral home because they don't know where to go or how to mark or a place to find. Mm -hmm. The other role that religion has is, I think, not to condemn, but to offer hope. From the Christian perspective, we always talk about the kingdom of God. And in a world where we have personal piety, but not a sense of community, while it's wonderful to develop that relationship with God on our own and is important, what the community provides us is a sense of hope. And one of my most beloved professors, Helen Lang Davis, wrote in her book on the Old Testament agriculture, she had this line that I thought was profound. The problem with culture today is a lack of religious imagination mm -hmm. that tells us this world can be so much better than it is and then she says, or worse than it is. We don't have that sense in this world of a hope that this world is going somewhere, in somewhere far greater than we can hope or imagine through the deity. People, people tend to forget the real value of ritual, to go back to what you were saying. Somebody may say, look, I don't believe in Passover. It happened 3,500 years ago you know, not eating bread, I, I don't care about that. Going to somebody's house for Seder, just, you just sing the same old songs, tell the same old stories. I'm not interested. Okay. But what is the real value of that ritual? The value of the ritual is you're spending time with people that you love. You go to temple, you're spending time with people that you enjoy, hopefully you enjoy, you know, you enjoy being with. And... Ritual has what, what many have called the hidden agenda. And I may have mentioned this before. If I did, I apologize. One of my favorite stories. So in the Jewish, Jewish culture, when a parent dies, you're supposed to go to temple for 11 months, every morning and every night, and say a special prayer. Now, if you go to temple all the time, it doesn't, you're there anyway. But if you're not a temple goer, it's quite a commitment. A friend of mine who lost his dad said, you know what? 
I go to work, I'm busy, I, I'm not, I'll go for a week and that's it. And see, that's it. So he went every morning, every night for a week. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll do the month, whatever. Then I'll do two months, I'll do four months. And then he ended up doing the whole thing. And I asked him about it. And he said, here is what he learned that he didn't realize before. What he learned was that having a place to go in the morning and the evening to mourn was great because he could compartmentalize his morning. So if at 2 o'clock in the afternoon he felt very sad about his dad or whatever, he's, he knew in three hours I'll be in temple and I'll be able to express my, my mourning. He also came to realize that while he's in temple mourning for his father, there are other people there mourning for their loss. So it wasn't just him. And he, felt, he found a sense of community with the people who are mourning and sharing. And then he noticed, you know, I'm a new mourner, but there's my friend Joe who lost his mother, let's say, seven months ago, and he's still saying the prayer, but look, he's happy, he's joking around. He's... So it's survivable. So he learned through this ritual of, of going to services twice a day and that there was much more that it offered, just the idea of having to go somewhere and, off, and offer a prayer. So we often forget that ritual is so important in terms of, 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 of community. Somebody once called it cultural intimacy. <laughs> so through the culture, through ritual, you become intimate with people that you may not be, be otherwise. And you get to the point you, you can comfort them and then they comfort you. And, you know, it's just, it just a beautiful life of ritual that can add, add so much to, to our lives. And that is, again, I think one of the real values of religion, that it offers, offers us that. Companionship yeah. in our journey through life and its ups and downs. As you were saying that, I was thinking about our rituals and whether it be baptism, confirmation, marriage. Although people are so convinced that it's all about the child or the couple, which it is, there is a point in both of those ceremonies where the officiant asks the congregation, will you support this person in their life of faith and in marriage? Will you support this couple in their life together? And the hope is, and I always have to kind of prime the congregation for this, is they respond with a, res with a resounding, we will. That moment serves as a reminder to everyone and to the couple or to the family that whether it be raising your child in the faith or going through life as a married couple, there is a group of people who stand behind you and support you and will journey with you through those ups and downs. One of the definitions of the church is that we are the body of Christ, the church. And there's that wonderful prayer of St. Chrysostom and of the statement in the Bible that says, when two or three are gathered in his name, Christ's name, he is among us. Mm -hmm. And as of people who believe in, a, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
three entities, one God, one and three, three and one, we realize that God is relational. And part of, I think, the role of the church, especially since we are the body of Christ, is that religion offers us that sense of journeying with God together and being the presence of the Almighty so that we can see exactly what I talked about previously, that there is opportunity for something greater and larger than us. It is, from my perspective, the church that calls people into community, mm-hmm. especially not our culture, but I really think it's the church that hold, brings us to community, but also on the greater level of the church and religion is that we don't dictate morality or law, but by being the example of what love looks like, hopefully influence mm-hmm. society towards becoming a more loving society and a more godly society. Right. You mentioned faith before, and I think that's another key component of religion, is that it offers, offers faith. We know too well that logic only brings us to a certain point. Things, a lot of things in our world don't make any sense, illogical. But we infuse that thinking with faith. Faith says to us, you know what? Even though it doesn't make sense, even though it may not be logical, there is... There is goodness there. There is hope. We spoke about that. There is healing, all our H words from before. Mm-hmm. All of these things are available to you. An analogy is you go into a grocery store, and one aisle is logic, and one aisle is faith. And certain things you can't get in the logic aisle. You have to go to the faith aisle, and there you'll find, you'll find something. So thinking logically about the world and having faith kind of surround it, gives us purpose, gives us purpose. Why, why do you live? Why, why, why do you exist? I mean, it, it answers some of the existential questions that we're supposed to ask. What is our purpose in life? Why, why, why are we here? And so on. I think religion, through the Bible, can offer us those answers. But like with everything else, you know, people have to hear their ears on, you know? You have to... You have to, you have to wanna, mm-hmm. as they say. You have to wanna listen and just give it a chance. Open your ears, you your people. Isn't that one of the, one of the songs that you're saying, right? Or the quote of Christ: "Those who have ears hear; those who have eyes see." Yeah. And it really is about not so much um, about actually seeing what's there physically in front of us, but seeing deeper, right, with understanding right. and opening our ears to hear the word of God. Right. And to see God before us. Right. One, one, one of our key prayers is, the Hebrew is, uh, hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's just the word Shema, it does not only mean to hear, physically hear, but to listen, to listen. And I think when we listen to the words of the Bible, we listen to the word of, of people who expound the Bible, we, we can begin to inculcate some of those ideas into our lives and make our lives richer. I definitely believe that. So as we come to the end of our time, I think there's a couple of things that I hope this talk brought out or brings out to those who are listening. One is that religion is not there meant to be used as a 
to bludgeon people with into right behavior or to judge. Religion is there to, is to teach us about what love looks like and what love is. Also, I think, especially as I listen to the young people, I just had a confirmation class on Monday night, and they struggle when I talk to them about God is love and religion is about love because what they see and hear is so different. So if you have a young person out there that is against religion because it's supposed to be about love and it's not, they're right. But help them find those places where love is preached, whether it be at St. Peter's, through the Episcopal Church, or through Congregation Beth David. But also, too, remember, take with you this other piece of it, too, is that religion offers us ritual and a way to make order or create order out of chaos. And isn't that what God's been doing since the beginning of time? As Genesis tells us, when he created the universe, he created the world. He made order in this world out of the chaos. And maybe that's truly what God is about and what our religion is about, is helping us make order out of the chaos mm -hmm. of our lives and to connect us with others who understand and work with each other side by side with an understanding that this world can be so much greater than it is because we share the vision of what God's intent for creation was at the very beginning. And that's a gift that's available to all. It's free. And if you want it, come and get it. So be it. So let us end with prayer. Almighty and gracious God, you have so blessed us with scripture, with religion, and with opportunities to be in community to learn to love you and how to love others. Fill our hearts with the love that you hold for us so that we may return that love to you by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Conversations with a Priest and a Rabbi with Rabbi Ethan Adler and Father Craig Swan. This production is a collaboration between St. Peter's by the Sea Episcopal Church, Congregation Beth David, and Oyster Farm Productions.